Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning. My name is Linda McCasland. Uh, my husband and I, Roger, moved here um, about three years ago. We were so blessed to be a part of the Door Church. We teach your precious two- and three-year-olds. I'm part of the um, women's teaching uh, team, and um, so we're just excited. I have We have four children, nine grandchildren, two daughter-in-loves, one daughter, a son-in-love, and so we thank you for this privilege. This morning we're going to be reading in Romans 2, 1 through 5. And if you don't have your Bible with you or need a Bible, there should be one in the seat uh, in front of you. And I think it's on page 883. So let's read together 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. This is God's holy, perfect, and eternal word. Thank you, Linda. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brad, and I'm the campus pastor here, and I'm honored to be with you. Um, would you pray with me as we get started? Father, as we open your word, as Linda said, your holy, perfect word, uh, would you minister to us? Would you help me to uh, open these scriptures to our hearts? Um, would you speak to us? Would we joyfully come under your authority this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so one of the blessings of going through a, a book in the Bible, preaching through a book of the Bible, hopefully we always preach from the Bible, but preaching through a book of the Bible is that we get to hear what God says in the way that God wants to say it. And so we, we get to read through psalms of praise, of, of just exaltation of how great God is, or Proverbs, these wise sayings um, that help us to live and, and show us how to be shaped into godliness, or epistles, letters, like the book of Romans, where we, we see instruction for a people which also has bearing on us. So we get to hear what God says in the way that God wants to say it. And sometimes as we do this, um, which by the way prevents people like me from just saying whatever we want to say up here, of like a hobby horse, of a topic that I like to talk about or whatever, we, we just get to go through scripture and, and hear what God has to say. Sometimes his words are hard. Sometimes coming out of 
a, a sweet personality like Linda, you, you, you hear things like the wrath of God, the unrighteousness of man. And so sometimes God has some hard things to say to us. Sometimes the scriptures, if we don't just jump from uplifting text to uplifting text, but we actually have a robust full diet of scripture, sometimes the scriptures will be a sobering look in the mirror. There will be some hard truths. In Romans 1, which we have now covered, we, we hear about what it looks like to live an unrighteous life, to suppress the truth of God and to live your own truth. And in case you didn't know this, to live your own truth is the path to misery, to ruin. I do not exaggerate. And so Paul is the person that wrote this letter to these Christians in Rome in about 50 A.D., He's explained in Romans 1, if you live your truth, you're living a lie, it's the path to misery. And then in, in chapter 2, which is where we are now, Paul begins to look at those who would consider themselves righteous people. So chapter 1, you've got the unrighteous people. And you can read the list. You can kind of look back in your Bible and, and see what it looks like to, to live in all manner of unrighteousness. But, but now Paul, he's turning and he's talking to church folk. He's talking to so-called religious people. And I want you to know, if you're not a religious person, he's still talking to you. I want you to know that if you read Romans 1 and you're not convicted, you should read Romans 2 and be convicted. But we should all be convicted by Romans 1 and by Romans 2. Because we fit in all of these categories. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire the Apostle Paul to write these hard words to the Romans and, and therefore to us? Why? Why would we need to hear about the wrath of God so much? Here's why. Because if you don't understand the terror of God's wrath towards sin, you will not comprehend the rescue of God's grace towards sinners. If you don't comprehend the terror of God's wrath towards sin, you will not understand the magnitude of God's grace for sinners. So this is a simple sermon this morning, a two-point sermon. If you come to me and you're like, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news, which do you want first? I'm always the bad news first guy. Not because I'm like a negative person, but it's like, let's get that over with because I want to hear the good news. What am I dealing with so that I can be uplifted by the good news? And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the bad news of our self-righteousness. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not talking past you. The bad news of your self-righteousness, of my self-righteousness, and the good news of the gospel of grace. So the bad news of our self-righteousness. Well, this morning I'm reading in Psalm 73, and he, the psalmist is describing these prideful, self-righteous people, and he says, pride is their necklace. What a beautiful, poetic way to say that, 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 that some of us are adorned 
in our self-righteousness. We're adorned in our self-assurance. We wear it almost as as jewelry. And so a self-righteous person is someone who is convinced of their rightness and their righteousness. And they are always contrasting themselves against other people. That is what it looks like to be self-righteous, to be on the moral high ground, to be on the spiritual high ground, to constantly be looking out and down at other people. That's what it looks like to be self-righteous, is to be righteous in your own mind of your own making. That's what it means. In the Bible, there's a man named David. He's a mighty king. He's a mighty sinner as well. And so he is a a, a king, a a powerful man. And his troops, it's springtime, his troops are off fighting a battle. The Bible says this is when the kings go off to war. Well, he didn't go off to war. So he's hanging out on his couch, literally taking a nap. He wakes up. He's walking through his palace and he looks out the window. And I, I picture this being down a hill. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he's a powerful man. He can really do whatever he wants. So he says, I want her brought to me. She's brought to him. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And that's a real problem for David. So David has her husband, who is, by the way, off fighting the war that he should be at, He's like, I need Uriah to go to the front of the front lines. If you know your history, think World War I in the trenches, the awful place. Send Uriah there. His commanders do this. Uriah is killed. This is a grievous sin against God. It is a wicked sin against God. I hope I don't have to convince you of this. But David has not yet had a sobering look in the mirror. He's not had those hard truths confront him yet. He doesn't get the gravity of his sin. But God wants him to see it. And so God sends a prophet, a guy named Nathan. Let's look in on this conversation in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The preceding verse says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord is displeased with David. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up And he grew up with him and his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. 
Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David, you are the man. David hears this story about someone's sin, about their downfall, and he's like, they deserve judgment. Wrath for them. Nathan says, it's you. It's you. You're not on the moral high ground, David. But this is in our nature. This is why Jesus says, before you look at the speck in someone's eye, look at the log in your own. We have this predisposition towards seeing the sin of other people so clearly, but not seeing our own. It's like being in a carnival mirror. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Or like one of those wardrobe mirrors that make you look taller and thinner, more attractive. Makes me look like a Tim Burton character because I'm already pretty tall. But it's like an appealing thing. You see yourself rightly, beautifully, always well. I used to wear glasses. I had cataract surgery. I'm 39. I don't know why I had a cataract. That's, that's weird, but... I like my lenses to be clean. I don't like stuff being on them. I don't like smudges. I don't like specks of things. And so I'm kind of weird about that. And so I want real clear lenses. Well, we have real clear lenses to see other people's sin. I can see your sin with great detail. And you can see mine. It's the log speck thing. Al Capone once said, the notorious, violent gangster. Any guy who pretends he's enforcing the law and steals on his authority is a swell snake. The worst kind of these punks is a politician. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I agree. Okay, this is the same guy who said you can get much further with a kind word and a gun than you can with a kind word alone. Al Capone, violent gangster, ruled by terror. He's like, my coercion, my brutality is actually fine. But the politicians, they're snakes. If Capone is that deluded, don't you think you could be? Don't you think you could put yourself on that moral high ground? Don't you feel convicted at all? The reason we do this, it's hard to look at your sin. It's rough to have a sobering look in the mirror. And so it is so much easier and it feels safer to deflect and defend and project and to put this on other people. This is why, by the way, we, we, we half apologize to people. I'm sorry if you took what I said the wrong way. I'm sorry if you feel that way, but... We, we give these half-hearted apologies because a full-on apology would mean that we were actually wrong. We're not sorry, we're superior. 
All right, so some bad news further. I know this is really fun. Number one, verse one, we have no excuse. What the text really says, it's the opposite of apologia, which means to give an answer. It means we do not have an answer. Those of us on the moral high ground read all of us. We have no defense. We have no excuse. We have no answer whatsoever. And so even our silent and unexpressed judgment of other people, I know you have it just like I do. It condemns you. We're like judges with blood on our hands. We have no excuse. The second thing that I would say to you is we have no escape. It talks about the wrath of God, verse 3. Do you, do you think that you'll escape the wrath of God just because you look down on other people? You think you're going to be a, 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 getting away from this? He's like judging other people is a sin. And not only that, you do the same things. You're like, okay, well, if we, we look at chapter one, well, let me take a few of these. And, you know, Brad, I'm not a murderer. Maybe not physically. Jesus would say, if you've been angry with someone, you're a murderer of the heart. God looks on the heart. Brad, I'm, I, don't, I don't really steal from people. Do you covet? Is your friend's new truck nice. You really wish you could have it. Your friend's husband or wife is, is their house, is what their kids, what do you covet? It's theft of the heart. Even if we have not outwardly committed these things, we inwardly desire these things. And furthermore, last bit of bad news, number three, we have no ability to change ourselves. You don't say to a self-righteous person, just stop being self-righteous. Quit being stupid. That's not how it works. You can't change you. A sermon can't change you. Good advice can't change you. The Holy Spirit must change you. From within, from the source, So I know this has been heavy thus far. If you read the Bible and you do not feel convicted, you're not getting it. I just want you to know that. If you don't ever feel convicted, if you don't ever come under it and kind of want to hide, you're not reading it right. But the gospel means good news. So what, in, in light of all of that bad news... What do we do with that? The sharp truth of the Bible is not meant to butcher you, my friends. It is a scalpel meant to heal you. It is like spiritual surgery, the scalpel of the Spirit intended to carve out your sin and heal you spiritually by drawing you to Jesus. The bad news goes first. The good news comes second. It's not just my opinion. It's what the Bible does. Verse four says this. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. 
That word repentance should not be something that you hear and you think of in a negative word. That should be the most refreshing word in your vocabulary. Repentance is to to be changed in the inner man or inner woman. That's what it means. It means to turn from your sin, to be changed in your soul, to be transformed. And so those of us that are self-righteous and, and we finally see it, we run to the cross where it was crucified. It was slayed there. We repent in desperation. We run in exuberation. Isaiah 53 will be on the screen. I just want you to see this. Self-righteous people, unrighteous people, people. It's talking about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. If you are in Christ, Jesus has borne your griefs, he has carried your sorrows. He was stricken, smitten, pierced for your transgressions, your unrighteousness, your self-righteousness. With his wounds, you're healed. If you're not in Christ, this is available for you. The blood of Christ covers all unrighteousness, self-righteousness. If the good news of the gospel is equivalent to the bad news of our sinfulness, it's a net zero equation. It's like, okay, pardoned? Now what? But that's not all. That's not all, that we're not only paid for, but we are given a new life, changed in the inner man, changed in the inner woman, a new creation in Christ. We have a spiritual heart transplant, not a new trajectory in our life, a new heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 will be on the screen. It says, and I will give to you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse five says that we can have a hard and impenitent heart. We can have a rocky heart. But through Christ, we can have a heart transplant to be changed in the inner man. And if you put your faith in Christ, if he is your king, you have an excuse You have a defense. You have a defender. You are justified before God, made right, washed clean, 
You have an excuse. You have an escape. What are you afraid of? You have no need for fear in Christ. None whatsoever. In Christ you have escaped the wrath of God. Anything scary in this world is nothing. Nothing. You have an eternal inheritance. And you have an escape. You are safe. And you're changing. You're a new creation being made new all the time. It's called progressive sanctification. It means you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus, which means you become more and more humble. As you're transformed, you are not stuck in your unrighteousness. You are not stuck in your self-righteousness. You are not stuck in your eternal quest to defend yourself, but you can lay down in the grace of Christ. Psalm 51. This is David's story. He says, create in me a clean heart. Give me a heart transplant. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. I want to be with you, God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Make me new. Bind me up. There's a turning point. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David goes from conviction to praise, flip through the Psalms and underline which ones are of David. He praises God for his salvation, that he has been given a clean heart by faith, changed in his inner man. And what this means for us, the kindness of God can lead to free confession of our sin. We can confess our sin to possess the grace of God to put it on, to wear it like a garment because we're safe in Christ so we can freely confess his kindness leads us to repentance and his kindness leads us to compassion. Dear friends, the ground is level at the cross. How dare we look upon another image bearer See the speck in their eye, but not the log in ours. That log Jesus has paid for. Do you know this? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for paying for us. Thank you that those of us on the haughty high ground, God, I am one of them. You don't leave us up there on our false scaffolding. But Jesus, you came down. You condescended to be a payment, 
to give us a spiritual heart transplant that we would begin to have a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for you. That God, your kindness leads us to repentance, to be changed in our inner man, not assured in our inner man to be changed by your grace. Thank you for this word. Thank you that the good news follows the bad news and the good news outshines it. You are holy, you are good, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.